what is nuclear engineering? Where is ARCO? And how is it associated with nuclear engineering? What makes one decide to go to med school after receiving a PhD and working out in the field for several years? And finally, what's it like to enter the cadaver lab in your very first year of medical school without any previous anatomy experience? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Michael, a former nuclear engineer and current first-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Uh, I got a great guest today. Uh, I have Michael. Hello, Michael. Hello, Dr. Chan. Um, and just started first year of medical school. Yes, All about right. a month ago. Fantastic. So let's kind of focus on that before we kind of switch gears and talk about your journey. So how has the first month gone? The first month has gone pretty well. It's, it's um, in a lot of ways, it's what I expected. It, you know, everybody said it's a fast pace and people feel like they're drinking from a fire hose. And to some degree, it, I mean, that's accurate. But um, I think the, the way they set up the classes, um, it, it's it seems pretty well optimized to learn quickly, and I, I think it's been a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh, uh, going to the dissection in the cadaver lab was was uh, pretty wild at first. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Do you come from an anatomy background? <clears throat> no, not really. Okay. I, I was an engineer in my, my formal life. I, I studied nuclear engineering, um, and so this was all pretty new. Aside from my prerequisite prerequisite courses that I that I took getting ready to to, to make this change uh, that, that's pretty much it so so it's still pretty new to me so were you nervous about taking gross anatomy a little bit yeah okay. yeah I mean uh, maybe maybe I was uh, maybe I felt like I was going to be at a, a little bit of a disadvantage mm-hmm. not having that strong anatomy background but the reality is that uh, a lot of the students come from other backgrounds. I mean, we've got we got a lot of biology people, but we've also got a lot of people that you know. We've got an accountant, we've got mm-hmm. uh, a lawyer, we've got uh, engineers. So, so it's really it, it, it's designed to get everybody on the same page, and and uh, and that's kind of what the first semester seems to be for: is to get everybody oriented and get a a nice foundation. Foundations of medicine. Foundations of medicine, and yeah. yeah. Well, um, just to go dive a little bit deeply, more deeply into the anatomy. So, how is it set up here? I mean, like, uh, uh, how many med students are to a cadaver? I mean, how does that work? How often do you guys meet? So, we meet uh, once a week. Most weeks, there's a new dissection every every few weeks, maybe three to five weeks. I don't know the trend yet, but we have a what they call a table conference. So, okay. normal week, we go in um, with about what is it, five people per cadaver, and we have uh, dissection objectives, and Dr. Morton will come on and, and, and talk about the dissection of the day. Hopefully you've read a little bit beforehand mm-hmm. um, about it. Then you have four hours to do the dissection. Of course, there's a little quiz about the previous week at the beginning, but that's pretty okay. short. So there's a quiz at the beginning yeah. from the previous week. <laughs> quiz at the beginning from the previous week. Is it an oral quiz or it, is it a written quiz? Or? These are these are written, and you kind of walk around. So when you go into the room, you share a room with about six cadavers or so, okay. and and so six groups. And then you walk in, 
and there's about 10 different things pinned. They have these little pins and with a number on it, and then there's questions on the on the board. What is this nerve? Identify this muscle. What's you know what nerve innervates this muscle? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just walk around and and answer all 10 questions, turn it in, and then you start the start the day's dissection. So is your is your is your cadaver used as part of the quiz? <clears throat> it can be. Okay. I, I, yeah, they usually try to use most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, some cadavers, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of anatomical variations, and sometimes a certain structure is much more clear mm. on one cadaver than in another, and so they probably use they try to use the the strength of each one, I mm-hmm. suppose. But uh, um, yeah, so so then after the quiz, we do we have about four hours to do a dissection. Sometimes we come in after a different day. The cadaver labs open to us. Uh, pretty much around the clock every day so your id badge lets you in so it does it won't let you in after hours but you can stay after hours okay. if you're already in so yeah you can a lot of groups get together um and go in and either finish their dissection or study <clears throat> for the following week's quiz what what dissections did you just finish yesterday? uh we just well yesterday was a table conference oh, okay so we did so this is where about i guess once a month or so since we've been here a month uh, we go in and we half the class goes to the histology lab and they do well no actually they don't do it in the histology lab but half the class goes and takes a histology quiz and the other half goes to the um, anatomy lab and in this this format you have 10 minutes with uh, maybe nine minutes with one of the uh, the preceptors mm-hmm. and it's an oral um, exam where they um, you have about ten questions, and you answer a question, and they have a couple of follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. And and here they'll they'll have you find something in a, in one of the cadavers, find a structure, and then they'll ask you a couple of questions about it, like you know what does it do, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Is this with Doctor Morton, or is this with one of the TAs? It's with uh, I think Doctor Morton does some of these, mm-hmm. but you have multiple ones going on at once. You have okay. five, maybe like each room has one going on at the same time. So you have TAs and you have uh, professors. I think mm-hmm. uh, that are that are sharing this responsibility. So. It sounds like it's like random who they who they pick, or does the person know ahead of time they're going to be asked these questions? We don't know the questions. Um, until right before we go in. Oh, okay. So we have a couple of minutes just to figure out what order we want to talk about them in. But and does one person represent your table, or is it kind of a team effort to answer the questions? These are individual. Oh, they're individual. Yeah, yeah. These are individual. So it's a big process because you got to get 120 students through this. Wow. Each doing an individual. That's why you have multiple mm-hmm. rooms going on at the same time. So. Okay. okay. So not coming from an anatomy background, it sounds like the anatomy course is well taught and really prepares you you don't feel like you've been at a specific disadvantage per se. i don't um the way that they teach i like the way that in the classroom they teach physiology for the same system for which you're learning anatomy it's not just like you go and you take a physiology class and then the next semester you take an anatomy class mm. it's like we're, today we're learning about the physiology of the lungs and then we go over to the anatomy lab and we dissect the lungs Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then we go look at uh, the histology of the lo- the lungs in the um, in the histology lab. So it's it's organized in such a way that I think it I think it 
gets into your brain a little better than if you were to just attack them all in a random order. And I think that's the integration that they talk about, trying yeah. to combine the physiology with anatomy. So it kind of ties all together. So yeah, it sounds like you like that style, that, I, that I, format. I really do. Of course, I, this is the only time I've ever been to med school, so I don't know any <laughs> other way to compare it to. Uh, well, let's talk about that, Michael. I, I know you've had a, a, a circuitous, a longer journey to get here. So, like, you know, like, let's talk about the beginning. So... Um, where did you go to undergrad? So I went to undergrad at Texas A&M. Okay. Um, I just – I think for a long time growing up, I had the idea that I would be an engineer. I, I felt like I I was pretty good at math and, and I liked physics and my dad was an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Houston and a lot of people – well, there's a lot of chemical plants, a lot of chemical engineers in Houston mm-hmm. – I think that might be part of why I decided initially I was going to go be a chemical engineer. Went during my freshman year, I went to a talk by the uh, department head for nuclear engineering, and he, um, I want to say he's a good salesman. That that's not meant to be disparaging. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I, I he portrayed the field well. He did, yeah. and and at the time there was this renaissance on the horizon Mm -hmm. Uh, there was an aging workforce and there all these utilities were making plans to submit license applications for new new uh, reactors Mm -hmm. there was a nuclear renaissance uh on the horizon i've never heard about this renaissance well it was was a big deal for us you know okay (laughs) so what uh, what is nuclear engineering what is that nuclear engineering I, i guess it's a lot of things the nuclear engineering that i studied and worked at had to do with commercial nuclear power and so that's sort of like care and feeding for nuclear power plants mm-hmm. and, and that typically comes in for nuclear engineers we have kind of a a traditional uh separation between the people that deal with the reactor the mm-hmm. reactor physics so um, trying to predict and model the uh, the 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 neutron population in a reactor, you know, the the chain reaction that uh, the fission chain reaction is caused by neutrons, and then each fission produces more neutrons. So that's the chain reaction, and trying to solve the equations to model mm-hmm. what's going on in those reactions. That's one part of it, and another part of it is now that the the energy has been generated. How do you carry it away so the heat transfer, the thermal hydraulics, the thermal fluids mm-hmm. stuff? I kind of did a little bit of both and and ended up being kind of a design and analysis person. Um, I wasn't working on the methods Mm -hmm. to, you know, developing the methods to analyze them. I was using the methods to uh, design and analyze reactors. And Mm -hmm. and I was at a a national lab, a Department of Energy lab that, that is tasked with that kind of work. This was up in Idaho? This was up in Idaho. Okay. And then, well, and I sorry we got kind of ahead of ourselves. So after Texas A and M, you pursued your doctorate in nuclear engineering, correct? I did. Okay. I I I went to MIT. So you liked the field, obviously. I did. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I liked the field. It was going well. I felt like I was mm-hmm. good at it, and I thought I thought uh, you know I wanted to to go to graduate school, mm-hmm. and I went to MIT. Uh, initially to get a master's degree, but again, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Things were going pretty well, so I decided to try to get into the PhD program. Got into that and uh, finished up there. 
mm-hmm. in 06. But in the meantime, loved Boston. Mm-hmm. Thought MIT was a great place. Really, yep. really glad I did that. Good. So during this journey, Michael, when did the idea of medicine, when did that kind of come into being? <clears throat> I had thought a little bit about it when I was an undergrad. I used to study because I started out in chemical engi- in chemical engineering, I was in like the the real chemistry classes, mm-hmm. not the engineering chemistry. I studied with these guys I went to high school with that were all on the medicine track mm-hmm. and and those guys and also my sister who is a nurse, I've always had a lot of admiration for what she did and so that that kind of had the idea sort of in the back of my mind, but not it didn't really come to the forefront until about five years into my career at uh, at Idaho National Lab. Um, I sort of felt like I, I felt like what I was doing was very likely to never be used, mm. and it made it very hard for me to get engaged in what I was doing. What do you mean never be used? So in the environment that – so this renaissance I was talking about mm-hmm. never materialized. Ah. Uh, and and I think that that had a lot to do with cheap gas. Okay. Uh, so, so utilities scrapped plans for nuclear power plants uh, because the economics just didn't look good anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, – and I think that kind of trickles down to the government-sponsored R&D, mm-hmm. um, and so so the the government didn't didn't really have sustained funding for any big projects that looked like um, they they would realistically be realized, mm-hmm. if that if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, and so so it really started to feel like all I was doing was a series of little analyses for postulated future reactor systems and fuel cycles and things that were maybe in the very long term they're almost inevitable in when my we, view when we have our moon colonies when we have well sure or yeah. when gas gets expensive again yes. or i like the idea of moon colonies sure, yeah, yeah. Power plants. All right. yeah i yeah that's one good thing about nuclear is yeah. it it works on the moon yeah, yeah. it's brilliant yeah all right so um you're in this is idaho falls right this is idaho falls okay. yeah um Let's go back to medicine. So you're thinking, right. like, so so as I started to realize that this wasn't for me, um, I kind of I kind of almost knew what where I wanted to go because medicine offers uh, the chance to learn science mm-hmm. and put it to use, and that's what I wanted to to do is feel useful mm-hmm. to, uh, and, and maybe part of it was my own maybe egotistical belief that that I have something to offer. I have more to offer than just what I call playing in a sandbox. Okay. And, and the nuclear sandbox as it were, the nuclear sandbox. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful in there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Wear your suit. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, it, I just, I think I, I knew right away. Um, I also had a, a good friend who was a student here at the time. Uh, and, and she, and, and I was friends with, with her and her husband and, and I guess she said, "Well, why don't you just why don't you why don't you go to med school? You know, I mean, people your age do it all the time." And and this was kind of news to me too. I kind of figured that everybody that went to med school was pretty much right out of undergrad, and and that it just seemed like too much of a change. And mm-hmm. and but but it didn't take very much thinking about it to realize that this this might be a real a path for me to to get more satisfaction out of 
out of whatever it is I'm doing. And, and so, so it's, and I also started to see medicine as it really is, it's not that different than engineering. It, it, it's really engineering with humans, mm-hmm. which, well, that, that almost, that didn't sound right. Well, sort of. <laughs> it, I, I would argue there's more of an artistic side to it. But well, yeah, and, that, I, and I, that's, I, yeah. and that's the draw, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, and, and I think that's because it is so important to people that there's no, there's not a whole lot of emotion, uh, when it comes to engineering a machine, mm-hmm. but but now you have all the science with with the with with the uh, the human interactions thing uh, part of things that I was completely missing out on. So, mm-hmm. well, Michael, I know there's people out there that are hopefully listening to this podcast who are you know at their office or in their cars or at home, and they're in a career that they kind of like you. They you know didn't turn out the way they thought it did. Um, and they might be thinking about medical school. What advice would you give those people? What, what have you learned in this process of going back to school and applying to medical school? What, what would you tell them? I, I suppose one one thing I would say is is kind of what I've kind of the realization I came to, which was it's okay not to be. You don't have to be right out of college you know there's a lot of people a lot of not and and people know this if they've been listening to your pod if they've made it to this point in your podcast (laughs) i'm assuming they didn't skip to this one but they know now that there are a lot of non-traditional students and 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 it's uh and it's fine there's not there's no reason you can't go i don't know what the age is that's too old but it's certainly it's certainly uh older than i thought Mm -hmm. And, and so that's one thing and and two i guess i guess i don't think everybody that's i I worked with a lot of people that were disengaged and Mm -hmm. and seemed kind of miserable and that's the case everywhere it's not nothing special about where i worked um i don't think all those people should uproot themselves and do something drastic but i guess i guess i would just i would hope that people would never stop trying to figure out ways to make their life awesome. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what, this is what that meant. Um, uh, there were a lot of people I think that would have liked to do this and didn't feel like they were in a financial mm-hmm. or, uh, a situation to do it, or, or maybe they had family obligations that, that they felt were, um, strong enough that they wouldn't want to do this. But, but, uh, I, I guess that's it. Yeah, for whatever that means for you, try to figure out how to make your life awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that. So, you know, talking about the awesomeness, um, have you been able to connect with other students, or a little bit kind of like you're in the same boat that they did other careers? I mean, have you felt that with the class? Yeah, you, a little, not, I mean, I don't think you feel like you're the oldest one, right? No, I, first of all, I don't think you are. No, I, I don't think I am. Yeah. I think there's a handful that that are older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm 35. I don't know if that's, uh, you know. It's a great age. Yeah. I, I used to be 35. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and, and I'm not the oldest student. And I do feel a kind of uh, kinship, I guess, with the, the other mm-hmm. students that have sort of hit the reset button uh, in their life uh, in that way. Okay. Um, I also have connected with some of the younger people. so So it's. I'm kind of an introvert, so it takes time for me to 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 make a lot of friends. But but everybody's um, everybody's really welcoming too. There's there's no 
it's not like the old the old people sit on one side of the classroom and the young people sit on the other. It's I think all, you guys intermingle. We do, we do. So <laughs> that's great. So it, it's a good environment for for everybody. I think, regardless of age. Okay. Um, and then you know, I, I appreciate you coming on today, Michael. Um, I just want to talk about some fun stuff now because, like, sure. you kind of jog my memory, and it's not every day I get to talk to a nuclear engineer. Sure. Um, so first of all, like you're in Idaho Falls, right? Yes. What what is with Arco? Because people when they talk about nuclear stuff, they always talk about Arco, which is a city up in Boise. Is, is that is there like a is there nuclear reactors up there or so Arco is? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. If if you live in Idaho Falls, you probably drive through Arco. Okay. Sometimes because it's kind of it's kind of in between Boise and Idaho Falls. And maybe maybe close to being halfway between, or or maybe it's a little closer to Idaho Falls. But anyways, Arco is right on the edge of the Idaho National Lab site. Okay. And Arco has their claim to fame is that they were the first, I think, yeah, they were the first city lit by nuclear power. Wow. And this was a this was kind of a propaganda thing that was done. Probably in the you know in the in the Cold War mm-hmm. in probably the '60s at some point they they figured out how to light up some of uh, Arco um, with uh, with with a reactor that was on the INL site. So so that's kind of their claim to fame. It's not a big town. It's because I think they've really ta- like you said they've taken that and run with it because I think their high school team is called the Isotopes. Like, is it? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> like, and like, there's all these Arco yeah. references, like you know, the radioactive. I mean, everything kind of has like a, a nuclear kind of bent. To yeah, it. there's yeah. like an atomic burger. Or yeah, something. atomic yeah. burger. Yeah. There, there we go. I've so. never had an atomic okay. burger, but it's uh, it sounds delicious. But okay. it's uh, yeah, they, that's kind of their that's kind of their thing. They kind of they they might be one of these towns that the interstate decided not to go through, so they've had to find creative ways to to drum up uh sure sure yeah. I've, I've just heard so many kind of interesting things about arco and nuclear energy so i just wanted to ask you yeah that, that's arco yeah. thanks for listening to talking admissions and med student life with dr benjamin chan the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school a production of the scope health sciences radio online at the scope
I was like 16.